0: It's the 25th of July in the year of our salvation, 2008, the feast of St. James the Apostle. And this is Father John Zolstorff, Father Z, with another podcast. We welcome as our guest today Don Camilo Tarocci, fictional pastor of The Little World. I also have some of your voicemail. Recently, I dusted off some DVDs I bought a long time ago in Rome, some discs of the wonderful Don Camillo movies made in Italy in the 1950s and 60s. Now, a long time ago, uh, when I was learning Italian, and Italy, and Italians, I read many of the stories of Don Camillo by Giovanni Guareschi, and they delight me still to this day. Now, seeing the movies, however, with all their splendid interweaving of the Catholic faith, and the politics of the time, and the life of the village, and good common sense, and really interesting scenarios i was inspired to find the books again and read them but i can't find my italian copies they've got to be packed away in some box somewhere maybe back in italy so anyway after looking online for the texts i found the english texts on a couple of websites uh, with the note that the english translation copyright had expired and so i uh, decided I would order up a couple of copies of the, the first Don Camilo books in the English translation and maybe then read them for these podcasts a little bit at a time. These stories are absolutely wonderful. There's a delightfully human dimension to them, and the parish priest of the little world, Don Camilo, deserves a lot of attention. So let's listen to the first couple stories of The Little World of Don Camilo by Giovanni Guareschi. Now a couple things you should know about this. The first Don Camilo stories were printed serially starting in 1946 just after the war. It was a time of real poverty, real suffering in Italy and they were published serially in a satirical magazine that was edited by Giovanni Guareschi, a magazine called Candido, in 1946. At that time, uh, they were trying to, st- struggling to sort out who had been on the side of the fascists and the Christian Democrats, supported by the church, and the Communist Party were struggling for political domination of Italy. They were both working with their own forms of propaganda for the hearts and the minds of the Italian people in the city and in the countryside. And everybody weighed into this. There were very few people who were neutral. Now, the main character of these stories, Don Camillo Tarocci, is a, a very big man, very physically powerful. He's the parish priest of this little town along the Po River in northern Italy. And his you should know that that area is absolutely flat up there that's where they have the great uh, the great rice paddies for example of northern italy so it's very flat and the river may plays a main plays a main part of their lives the nemesis of don camillo is the mayor of the town who's a communist giuseppe botazzi whose nickname is peppone which in English translates more or less like "Big Joe." The third main character in these stories is the large crucifix in Don Camilo's parish church. Don Camilo talks with Christ uh, in the cr- in that crucifix, and so the voice of Christ is constantly chiding and advising and correcting Don Camilo, who acts and thinks very passionately sometimes and needs a lot of correction from Christ. Don Camilo uh, very often will back up his ideas and his defense of Holy Church as he perceives them with loaded guns or getting into fistfights and even uh, from time to time throwing furniture. So he needs a lot of guidance from this big crucifix, which is a main character in the stories. Uh, all of these stories capture a sense of being in a small town uh, where everybody knows everybody else knows everybody else's business and uh, for the most part though the type of of place where people will always come together in times of need even though on a day-to-day basis they might be doing their sharks and jets routine over politics and other really important issues, like what time the village clock says, or who gets to graze their cattle where. The stories by Gwareski are deeply Catholic and profoundly anti-communist. They're anti-secular, even though no one who is on the wrong side of the political uh, argument Uh, Goreski was a deeply anti-communist man. No one gets too raw a treatment. So Goreski doesn't come down too hard on anybody. On the other hand, he doesn't hide flaws either. He certainly doesn't hide the flaws in the church's own shepherds. But all in all, the stories are really a fascinating glimpse into post-war Italy and also what matters uh, in life in general, the essentials as Goresky calls them. So here we go. I'll skip over the autobiographical section at the very beginning and get us right into the texts. We'll hear the first three short little pieces by Giovanni Goresky about the little world of Don Camillo. THE LITTLE WORLD The little world of Don Camillo is to be found somewhere in the valley of the Po River. It is almost any village on that stretch of plain in northern Italy. There, between the Po and the Apennines, the climate is always the same. The landscape never changes, and in a country like this, You can stop along any road for a moment, and look at a farmhouse sitting in the midst of maize and hemp, and immediately a story is born. Why do I tell you this instead of getting on with my story? Because I want you to understand that in the little world between the river and the mountains, many things can happen that cannot happen anywhere else. Here, the deep, eternal breathing of the river freshens the air for both the living and the dead and even the dogs have souls if you keep this in mind you will easily come to know the village priest don camillo and his adversary Peppone, the communist mayor you will not be surprised that christ watches the goings on from a big cross in the village church and not infrequently talks and that one man beats the other over the head, but fairly, that is, without hatred, and that, in the end, the two enemies find they agree about essentials. And one final word of explanation before I begin my story. If there is a priest anywhere who feels offended by my treatment of Don Camillo, he is welcome to break the biggest candle available over my head. And if there is a communist who feels offended by Peppone, he is welcome to break a hammer and sickle on my back. But if there is anyone who is offended by the conversations of Christ, I can't help it. For the one who speaks in this story is not Christ, but my Christ, that is, the voice of my conscience. A Confession Don Camilo had come into the world with a constitutional preference for calling a spade a spade. His parishioners remembered the time he found out about a local scandal involving young girls of the village, with some landowners well along in years. On the Sunday following his discovery, Don Camilo had begun a simple, rather mild sermon. Then he spotted one of the offenders in the front pew. Taking just time out to throw a cloth over the crucifix at the main altar, so that Christ might not hear what was going to follow, he turned on the congregation with clenched fists and finished the sermon in a voice so loud and with words so strong that the roof of the little church trembled. Naturally, when the time of the elections drew near, Don Camilo was very explicit in his allusions to the local leftists. What happened was not surprising, therefore. One fine evening, as the priest was on his way home, a fellow muffled in a cloak sprang out of a hedge, and, taking advantage of the fact that Don Camilo was handicapped by a bicycle with a basket of eggs on the handlebars, dealt the priest a mean blow with a heavy stick, and then disappeared, as if the earth had swallowed him. Don Camilo kept his counsel. He continued to the rectory, and, after putting the eggs in a safe place, went into the church to talk things over with Christ, as he always did in moments of perplexity. "'What shall I do?' asked Don Camilo. "'Anoint your back with a little oil beaten up in water, and hold your tongue,' Christ answered from the main altar. "'We must forgive those who offend us.' "'Very true, Lord, but here we are discussing blows, not offences. "'And what do you mean by that?' "'Surely, Don Camillo, you don't mean that the injuries done to the body are more painful than those to the soul?' "'I see your point, Lord, but you should bear in mind that an attack on me, your priest, is also an offence against you. "'I'm really more concerned for you than for myself.' And wasn't I a greater minister of God than you are? And didn't I forgive those who nailed me to the cross?" There's no use arguing with you, Don Camillo exclaimed. You are always right. May your will be done. I will forgive. But don't forget that if these ruffians, encouraged by my silence, crack my skull open, it will be your responsibility. I could quote you several passages from the Old Testament. Don Camilo, do you propose to teach me the Old Testament? As for this business, I assume full responsibility. And just between ourselves, that little beating this evening did you some good. May it teach you to let politics alone in my house." Don Camilo forgave in his heart, but one thing stuck in his mind and needled him curiosity as to the identity of his assailant. Time passed. Then, late one evening, as he was sitting in the confessional, Don Camilo recognized through the grill the face of Pepone, the leader of the extreme left. That Pepone should come to confession at all was a sensational event, and Don Camilo was duly gratified. "'God be with you, brother.' "'with you who, more than others, needs his holy blessing. "'When did you make your last confession?' "'In 1918,' replied Pippone. "'In all those years you must have committed a lot of sins "'with your head so crammed with crazy ideas. "'Quite a few, I'm afraid,' sighed Pippone. "'For example, for example, two months ago I gave you a beating "'that is very serious,' replied Don Camillo, since by assaulting one of God's priests you have offended God himself. Oh, but I have repented, Peponi exclaimed. And anyway, it was not as God's priest that I beat you up, but as my political adversary. Anyhow, I did it in a moment of weakness. Besides this and your activities in that devilish party, have you any other sins to confess? Peponi spilled them out. But all in all Don Camilo found nothing very serious, and let him off with twenty Our Fathers and twenty Hail Marys. While Pepone was at the altar-rail saying his penance, Don Camilo went and knelt before the Crucifix. "'Lord,' he said, "'forgive me, but I am going to beat him up for you. You'll do nothing of the kind,' replied Christ. "'I have forgiven him, and you must do the same.' "'After all, he's not such a bad soul. "'Lord, you can't trust a red. "'They live by lies. "'Just look at that face. "'Barabbas incarnate. "'One face is the same as another. "'It's your heart, Don Camilo, that is venomous. "'Lord, if I have been a worthy servant to you, "'grant me one small favor. "'Let me at least hit him with his candle. "'After all, Lord, what is a candle?' "'No,' replied Christ." Your hands were made for blessing. Don Camilo sighed wearily. He genuflected and left the altar. As he turned to make a final sign of the cross, he found himself exactly behind Peppone, who knelt at the altar rail and appeared absorbed in prayer. Lord, groaned Don Camilo, clasping his hands and looking up at the crucifix. My hands were made for blessing, but not my feet. There's something in that, replied Christ, but I warn you, just one. The kick landed like a thunderbolt. Peppone didn't bat an eye. After a minute he got up and sighed. I've been expecting that for the past ten minutes, he remarked casually. I feel better now. So do I, exclaimed Don Camilo, whose heart was now as light and serene as a May morning. Christ said nothing at all, but it was easy enough to see that he too was pleased. A BAPTISM One day, Don Camilo, perched high on a ladder, was busily polishing St. Joseph's halo. Unexpectedly, a man and two women, one of whom was Peppone's wife, came into the church. Don Camilo turned and asked what they wanted. "'There's something here to be baptized,' replied the man, and one of the women held up a bundle containing a baby." "'Whose is it?' inquired Don Camilo, coming down from his ladder. "'Mine,' replied Peponi's wife. "'And your husband's?' persisted Don Camilo. "'Well, naturally. Who else would be the father? You, maybe?' retorted Peponi's wife indignantly. "'No need to be offended,' observed Don Camilo on his way to the sacristy. "'I've been told often enough that your party approves of free love.' as he passed before the high altar don camillo knelt down and gave a discreet wink in the direction of christ did you hear that one he murmured with a happy grin one in the eye for the godless ones don't talk rubbish don camillo replied christ irritably if they had no god why should they come here to get their child baptized if pepone's wife had boxed your ears it would have served you right "'If Epone's wife had boxed my ears, "'I should have taken the three of them "'by the scruff of their necks, and—' "'And what?' Christ asked severely. "'Oh, nothing, just a figure of speech,' "'Don Camilo hastened to assure him, "'rising to his feet. "'Don Camilo, watch your step,' "'Christ said sternly. "'Duly vested, Don Camilo approached "'the baptismal font. "'What do you wish to name this child?' "'He asked.' Pepone's wife. "'Lenin Libero Antonio,' she replied. "'Then go and get him baptized in Russia,' said Don Camilo calmly, replacing the cover on the font. The priest's hands were as big as shovels, and the three left the church without protest, but as Don Camilo tried to slip into the sacristy, he was stopped by the voice of Christ.' "'Don Camilo, you have done a very wicked thing. "'Go at once and bring those people back and baptize their child.' "'But, Lord,' protested Don Camilo, "'you really must bear in mind that baptism is a very sacred matter. "'Baptism is—' "'Don Camilo,' Christ interrupted him, "'are you trying to teach me the nature of baptism? "'Didn't I invent it?' I tell you that you have been guilty of gross presumption, because if that child were to die at this moment, it would be your fault if it failed to attain paradise. Lord, let us not be melodramatic. Why in the name of heaven should it die? It's as pink and white as a rose. That doesn't mean a thing, Christ pointed out. What if a tile should fall on its head, or it suddenly had convulsions? It was your duty to baptize it don camillo raised his hands in protest but lord think it over if it were certain that the child would go to hell then we might stretch a point but since he might easily manage to slip into heaven in spite of his father how can you ask me to risk any one getting in there with a name like lenin i'm thinking of the reputation of heaven "'The reputation of heaven is my business,' shouted Christ angrily. "'What matters to me is that a man should be a decent fellow, "'and I care less than nothing whether his name be Lennon or Button. "'At the very most you should have pointed out to these people "'that saddling children with fantastic names may be a nuisance to them when they grow up.' "'Very well,' replied Don Camillo. "'I am always wrong. "'I'll see what I can do.' Just then someone came into the church. It was Pepone, alone, with the baby in his arms. He closed the church door behind him and bolted it. I'm not leaving this church, he said, until my son has been baptized with the name that I have chosen. Look at that, whispered Don Camilo, smiling as he turned to Christ. Now do you see what these people are? One is filled with the holiest intentions, and this is how they treat you. Put yourself in his place, Christ replied. One may not approve of his attitude, but one can understand it. Don Camilo shook his head. I have already said that I do not leave this place unless you baptize my son, repeated Peppone. After laying the bundle containing the baby upon a bench, he took off his coat, rolled up his sleeves, and came toward the priest threateningly. Lord implored Don Camilo, I ask you, if you think one of your priests should give way to the threats of a layman that I must obey, but if I do, and tomorrow they bring me a calf and compel me to baptize it, you must not complain. You know very well how dangerous it is to create precedence. All right, but in this case you must try to make him understand, and if he hits me, then you must accept it. You must endure and suffer, as I did. Don Camilo turned to his visitor. "'Very well, Pepone,' he said. "'The baby will leave the church baptized, but not with that accursed name.' "'Don Camilo,' stuttered Pepone, "'don't forget that my stomach has never recovered from that bullet I stopped in the mountains. "'If you hit low, I go after you with a bench. "'Don't worry, Pepone.' I can deal with you entirely in the upper stories, Don Camilo assured him, landing a quick one above his ear. They were both burly men, and their blows whistled through the air. After twenty minutes of speechless and furious combat, Don Camilo distinctly heard a voice behind him. Now, Don Camilo, a left of the jaw! It came from Christ above the altar. Don Camilo struck hard, and Pepone crashed to the ground. He remained there for about ten minutes. Then he sat up, got to his feet, rubbed his jaw, shook himself, put on his jacket, and re-knotted his red handkerchief. Then he picked up the baby. Fully vested, Don Camillo was waiting, steady as a rock beside the font. Peppone approached him slowly. "'What are we going to name him?' asked Don Camillo. "'Camillo Libero Antonio,' muttered Peppone. Don Camillo shook his head. "'No, we will name him Libero Camillo Lenin,' he said. "'After all, the Camillo will cancel out Lenin any day.' "'Amen,' muttered Peppone, still massaging his jaw. "'When all was done and Don Camillo passed before the altar,' Christ smiled and remarked, Don Camilo, I have to admit that in politics you are my master. And in boxing, replied Don Camilo with perfect gravity, carelessly fingering a large lump on his forehead. I'm always delighted to get useful voicemail from listeners. Let's hear a couple now. There are some good questions in them today. Here's the first one.
1: Hello, Father. Ed Casey calling from New York. Thank you for your continuing series of podcasts. I wanted to mention that the catechetical value of these is becoming more evident over time. But anyway I have a question for you knowing what you know and assuming you were the rector or pastor of a Novus ordo parish what two or three reasons or arguments would be the most compelling in convincing you to allow a regular traditional latin mass in your parish I think many people today are crafting strategies to work in and through the mechanisms of the Paris situation? Perhaps your thoughts here would bolster and buoy and guide ongoing efforts. Be assured of continued prayers for your work.
0: Well, thank you very much for those uh, that question and your kind comments. Uh, here's my initial reaction. Uh, first of all, I think we have to make an argument that for us to make to live well our Catholic faith we must live it in continuity with our heritage we can't live our Catholic faith as if we are divorced or recreating the wheel shall we say uh, ex nihilo from from nothing as if the Catholic thing is brand new and rooted only in the moment or only in our contemporary modern postmodern relativistic very secular society our catholic faith our catholic identity our vocations as catholics uh, bridge far more than just the present or the immediate future we are in continuity with uh, many many generations who go before Um, people from nations across the world, even bridging death itself. We are members of the church militant, and there are other members of the church who have died and gone before us, some in heaven, some in purgatory. We have to live our Catholic faith in continuity with all these different realities. In order for us to have a clear identity of who we are as Catholics, we have to live it in a sense of continuity. If we don't know who we are, we can't live our vocations in the world properly. We can't do the work that God intends for us. So our identity depends very much on how we pray, and how we pray has a reciprocal relationship with how with what we believe if we believe a certain thing we will pray a certain way if we pray a certain way we will come to believe a certain thing this is the old argument lex orandi lex credendi right that's the latin tag phrase for that reciprocal relationship between how we pray and what we believe and therefore how we live how we celebrate holy mass how we celebrate the eucharist the Eucharist being the source and summit of all of our Catholic lives, makes a huge difference to our identity and to our work in our particular vocations, whether we're lay people or priests or married or religious or what have you. So having the older form of Mass in our parishes will help us learn to pray at Holy Mass in a way that the Novus Ordo very often uh, does not accomplish Now, the Novus Ordo can be celebrated, of course, very well uh, and in continuity with our past uh, liturgical practice. But very often we need to reroute how we pray in our past with concrete experience of how we have prayed for centuries and centuries, how the lives of the saints were nourished in prayer. You know, here's an interesting point. You know, the older form of Mass really doesn't have anything to prove, does it? I mean, it really has proven what it needed to prove, and we can find that, especially in the lives of the saints who were nourished by that form of Mass. The newer form of Mass still has a great deal to prove in the long life of the Church. Not to pit one as the enemy of the other, Uh, we can still say that there are things we can find in the older form of Mass that are not found in the Novus Ordo, both in the texts and in the style of celebration written into the rubrics themselves, uh, which can teach us who we are, help us with our identity. Uh, There are treasures in it that we still need today especially in the face of all of the challenges we have to live out our vocations in a very difficult world. Now, a second way that you might approach it uh, could be as uh, Cardinal Castrion Hoyos has explained. Uh, Cardinal castrion Hoyos is the president of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei. And this was the commission set up by John Paul II after the... Uh, illicit consecration of bishops back in 1988. The office set up to help try to heal that break in the church's unity and also to facilitate all things having to do with the older form of liturgy as it was before the council and also uh, reconciling uh, members of uh, religious groups and traditionalist groups that had broken away or split off from the church and so forth. So Cardinal Castro Yonhoyos is in a position to know what our Holy Father is thinking and what he was thinking when he implemented uh, Summorum Pontificum, the motu proprio that de restricted the older form of Mass. And Cardinal Castrion Hoyos has explained um, to the press, uh, to the world, that the Holy Father hopes that the older form of Mass will be made available in all parishes so that people can experience this rich form of worship. So clearly, uh, a good reason to implement Summorum Pontificum in a parish church, even if it isn't you know, a personal parish, even if it's just one Mass uh, in the older form alongside other Masses of the Novus Ordo, the Holy Father sees having the older Mass in a parish as a very important thing, and that is reason enough for us to respond accordingly. Thirdly, I think we can make an argument that it's simply the right thing to do, even in justice. Now, as Latin Rite Catholics, we have a right to enjoy and make use of our whole heritage. Now, I'm a convert to the Catholic Church, and so I have a a strong understanding of how when I became a Catholic and I was formally received into the church at that instant everything in our Catholic heritage our whole great treasury of music and art and prayer and liturgy and architecture and theology all of these magnificent gifts suddenly became my heritage it's my patrimony As Latin Rite Catholics, we have the right to enjoy and make use of our patrimony, our whole heritage. We have the right to know it. We have the right to benefit from it spiritually. The older form of Mass is part of our right. That's R I T E. It is the Latin Rite, and it is also our right, R I G H T. That is our proper possession and something we should be able to have access to. And so it's wrong to keep it from the Catholic faithful, even if they don't know about it, or they are not necessarily asking for it on their own. When we instruct uh, children, we give them the things that we know that they need to have. And it would be wrong of us to keep from them uh, vital Training, formation, pieces of information that we know they're going to need in their lives. And so it's simply the right thing to do to have the older form of Mass alongside the newer form of Mass because it's part of our patrimony. So it's useful from the point of view of helping us shore up our Catholic identity. It's also something that the Holy Father desires for the whole church. And also, it's our patrimony. It's something that is part of the warp and weft of who we are. So perhaps from those three reasons, depending on the individual circumstances of a particular parish, a presentation or an argument, let's be careful with the word argument, but a presentation can be made. Uh, urging a a parish priest perhaps to rethink his position a little bit. If he is uh, confused about what the document Summa Pontificum is all about, doesn't know anything about the older form of Mass, one could argue that he should, because number one, the Holy Father wants it, number two, it's part of his job to know what his Latin rite is as a priest of the Latin Church, and number three, it's part of the flock's right and the useful thing that they need to have for their their spiritual lives but depending on the circumstances one might craft arguments now I would also urge at the same time that whatever be put forward be put forward with great uh, prudence and real charity never shoving things in the priest's face because if there is one thing I understand when you get in the priest's face Uh, He will tend not to do what it is that you would like him to do. So be very, very careful. Don't try to teach the priest his job. He knows what his job is. He knows what his role is in the parish. But there are other things that perhaps he hasn't considered or thought of. So always be ready to put good information into his hands, documents into his hands. Be ready to ante up. You know, here's another thing: a lot of people will say that they want X, Y, or Z done in the parish, and then they sit back and they wait for everybody else to do it. You should be ready to step up to the plate, get involved uh, with your time, your talent, and your treasure if you want something implemented in the parish. And the more people who approach. Uh, this with joy and prudence and patience the with good arguments and information, resources, and the willingness to put your your own uh elbow grease uh into the project well the more the greater likelihood you have of success. Let's listen to another one of your voicemails now and see what this listener has to say.
2: Hi, Father um a long-time uh, reader of your website, and uh, just thank you so very much um, for what you do. Um, very informative. Um, I would love for you to write again, or point me in the right direction, of anything that you've written or said in regards to the for all or for many part of the liturgy. Uh, I'm in discussions with quite a few uh, of people who are at the very least in spirit, um, thinking that the s s p x uh, folks are absolutely correct in what they're doing and as much as I love the extraordinary right and and try to get to that as much as possible um, you know i i I'm just not quite certain about it what the Holy Father has said, what he has you know said. Uh, or, or written or signed in regards to what it ought to be. Um, so, can, can you help me in that regard of that authority and whether uh, you know priests are supposed to be saying it and aren't, or it, is it up to the bishops? Uh, just help me out. I really appreciate it. Thank you so very much again. Um, calling from Portland, Oregon. Um,
0: thank you much. Bye bye. Thank you for that good question. What we're dealing with here is the pro-multis issue. Pro-multis, two words in the Latin form of the consecration of the precious blood during Holy Mass. In most of the modern language translations, pro-multis, which really mean mean for many or for the many, most of the uh, the modern translations, including English, presently have for all Instead of for many, in other words, they mistranslate pro multis. They just get it wrong. Although a lot of scholars will argue that based on uh, various texts in Holy Scripture, the pro multis really does mean for all, but they get it wrong too because they're based on they're based on the scholarship of a Lutheran scripture scholar named Joachim Jeremias, who wrote a dictionary article, a biblical dictionary article on the Greek words uh, that Christ spoke in speaks in the New Testament and in Paul uh, in the New Testament describing the Last Supper Ton Polon uh, the many which is what ton polon means in Greek. He Joachim jeremias argues that, uh, effectively, what he does is he argues that the Greek New Testament gets it wrong, because he, based on some passages in the Old Testament, he thinks that Jesus must have said something in Aramaic that meant for all instead of for many. Well, what Joachim jeremias is doing is he's carrying on a little bit of his own polemic Uh, from a Lutheran point of view, with the theology of the Catholic Church. Uh, But I am digressing. You can read all of this in a series of articles that I wrote some years ago in my weekly column in the newspaper The Wanderer, Uh, one year in the What Does the Prayer Really Say? articles, that's what the blog came from, that series of articles. I wrote about the Eucharistic prayers. I translated them literally, and I made a comparison uh, with the official English translation that is in still in use today. And when I came to the words of consecration in the Roman canon, I lingered over the pro multis issue in four articles. And I think those articles are fairly important. They actually had a real big impact. Uh, my old... A uh, dear old friend, a uh, former boss in the office I worked in in the Vatican, uh, His Eminence Cardinal Meyer, uh, took my articles and gave them to his good friend, the Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who wrote back to me saying, you know, that this is right, but it's going to be very, very difficult to get through the proper translation into English and the other languages. Well... The Holy Father uh, was the one who wrote that letter many years before he became Pope, and it is now his decision. You see, since the time of Paul VI, after the Council, the Pope reserves to himself the right to approve the translation of sacramental forms, because they are so vital to the validity of the sacrament that's being celebrated the holy father puts his own weight and authority behind the approval of the translation and so benedict the 16th himself eventually weighed in to the issue of the proper translation of promultis subsequent to the church issuing a document with new norms for translation of all the liturgical books In force, a document called Liturgium Authenticam of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments came out a few years ago. Basically, what the Church said is that all the translations of all of the liturgical books have to be reviewed and revised in light of new norms for translation that tossed out the old theory of translation in favor of a new theory of translation. The old theory was one called dynamic equivalence that is you know sort of getting the gist in contemporary language that is easy for people to understand the dynamical equivalent of how we would say things today in other words see the problem with that is that you lose so much of the real content of the prayer even though in translating anything we lose some content when you use some kind of dynamic equivalence you're basically hitching yourself to an ever-moving target it's very, very, very difficult to get the sense of something with dynamic equivalence. What is better to employ with something so Im- important as the content of our prayers in the liturgy of the church is to stick to the literal meaning of it as best we can with an elevated style, not necessarily the style of how we speak in everyday speech, so that the impact uh, of the prayer Um, tends to elevate the mind and elevate it in the direction of what the prayer really is saying. We have to ask ourselves, what does the prayer really say? And in order to do that, you've got to get at the meaning of the text. And that includes preserving its structure and sticking to the actual words. So given that uh, necessity, of the church to revise all of her translations. A lot of attention was focused on these two little words, pro multis, and the official translation, in English at least, for all. Now in those articles that I mentioned earlier, the articles that I wrote on the pro multis issue, I look into how the wrong translation was adopted, what the right translation is, and why it's important for us to get it right as Catholics. And right now, I can, in response to your direct questions, I can give you a couple points. Now, uh, first of all, uh, remember that what we're dealing with is a translation of liturgy and not of scripture. And the liturgy, as Cardinal Ratzinger, present Pope Benedict, argues in his book called The Spirit of the Liturgy translation of liturgy is not the same as translating scripture. Liturgy constitutes its own theological source, even when the words themselves might be taken from scripture, as the words of consecration are. So when we translate scripture, we might have to uh, do a lot more research and compare texts and so forth. But when we are translating the liturgy, we need to translate it as liturgy. And so even if one would accept I think, the incorrect arguments that promultis in the Vulgate or going back into the Greek in the New Testament might go back to some Aramaic thing which Jesus might have said and it might have really meant for all. No, no, no. We have to stick to the liturgy itself. And promultis means for many or for the many. And that is, I think, the definitive argument. But there are other arguments, too. If we look in the Roman Catechism that came out after the Council of Trent, there's a specific article in there, a paragraph in the Roman Catechism that describes why the church cannot say pro universis or pro omnibus. It's right in there. It says the church says for many for a reason and therefore cannot say for many. And I cite uh, the exact uh, words of the Roman Catechism in those. Four articles that I mentioned earlier. So you should go look those up. Also, all the Eastern Rite Catholics, when they translate their liturgies from their uh, from their various languages, all of them have a translation of for many and not for all. And another reason is that the wrong impression is given to people especially an impression reinforced over time, over years and years and years and years of hearing the words, for all, for all, for all, for all. The wrong impression is given that all are actually saved, even though, in fact, not all are saved. There are some people who do not accept what Christ did for them in shedding his blood. Many will be saved, and the many will could be a huge number, a a number so vast we can't count it, but it's not going to be all. It won't be every person who ever lived. So we shouldn't say all. Now, concretely, what has happened is that Pope Benedict, uh, as I said before, weighed in and determined that the vernacular translations had to say for many or for the many, depending on the language, instead of for all, in translating pro multis. And thereafter, the prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, His Eminence, Francis Cardinal Lorenzi, sent out a letter to all the bishops' conferences in the world, warning them about what was going to happen, because the individual bishops' conferences were involved in reviewing and revising the vernacular translations of uh, all the liturgical books. It's their competence to do so. And then they present what uh, they come up with to the Holy See for approval. And so basically, Cardinal Urinze was giving them the heads up that don't submit anything that doesn't have the correct translation, and the Holy Father wants it to be for many or for the many, depending on the language. Now, recently I was with Cardinal Lorenzi, and he, uh, he, made, uh, he made the statement that uh, the decision had been made Uh, that the text would say for many instead of for the many or for the multitude or for the multitudes uh, to render uh, pro multis. Now, I responded with my own argument that perhaps for the many would be better uh, because the sound of it in English somehow seems larger in a way than just saying for many. For many or for the many the many, at least to my ears, sounds bigger. And I think that in a theological sense, the many opens up possibilities of an eschatological meaning. That eschatology is the study of the last things. In other words, uh, the way the, the vast multitudes of heaven will appear. The many seems to me to open up this image of the multitudes gathered before the throne of God in heaven more than for many does. Now, you might have a a very different sound of that, but I made my own argument. Now, that said, I think we have to step back and still affirm that saying for all does not invalidate the consecration. Mass is still valid if we say for all. Now there are a lot of people in the traditional side of things who will, well I don't think a lot of people, I think very very few people actually will say that if we say for all during mass celebrated in English that mass is thereby invalid because it changes the sense of the words of consecration too much so that the validity is no longer there. They are wrong. Mass is still valid if we say, for all. Finally, um, though the texts of the ordinary, that is the part of the Mass that does not change every day, it's fixed and the same every day, The, the texts of the ordinary in the new translation are pretty much finalized. They are still not yet approved for use even though the ordinary might be uh, you know, pretty much fixed down, the Holy Church wants us to wait until the whole Missal is ready for use, and not just the ordinary. In other words, all the propers also. The, those, that means the, the the prayers that change every day. The Church wants us to wait until the whole book is ready, in other words. And so we should stick to the texts as they still are now even though those texts are really bad. We've got to stick to the texts, I think. We've got to say the black, as I put it, while doing the red. Priests shouldn't take it on themselves to change the texts of Mass. Now, I must admit to the whole world that I myself, in the past, uh, when saying Mass in English, have changed the words And said, for many instead of for all. And I did that consistently, and I did it for a very long time, because I just couldn't bear saying it. But I'm now, even though I very rarely say Mass in in English these days, I think I'm not going to do that anymore. In respect for the coming texts that are going to be published, and as a sign of obedience... Uh, to the church and according in accordance with the pope's own example when saying mass in english the pope himself is still using the approved texts even though uh you know he made the decision and knows better than anybody in the world what he wants the new translation to sound like he's still using the regular texts i'm sure so that he doesn't give uh the idea to priests who are very much interested in accuracy of translation, that they can simply do whatever they want to. In other words, that they can change on their own the words before the uh, the texts are actually issued in an official way. So, uh, really, to make it short here, check out the articles that I wrote on the ProMultis issue. They are linked on the left sidebar on the blog under the category pro. You can read there all sorts of uh, very detailed information about how the bad translation got there in the first place, what the better translation is, and what the issues are involved. That should really resolve a lot of questions for you. With that, I'm going to wrap this up. Now, thank you very much for the voicemail. Useful voicemail is very welcome. When you keep it uh, short and uh, speak really clearly so I can get a good recording of it, that's really helpful and it's very interesting to me. Even though I won't call you back, you can leave your number all you want, I won't call you back, Uh, I do listen to all of the voicemails, And uh, take them to heart uh, when they have uh, comments in them. And uh, sometimes, of course, as you're seeing right now, I make use of them in the podcast. Now, please feel free also to use the donation button on the left sidebar of the blog and on the blog entries for these podcasts. Uh, The donations really help. And you can also find a link to subscribe to the podcasts through iTunes. The iTunes feed is working again, mysteriously. I was also very happy to see that at least a couple thousand of you listened to my interview with his hermeneuticalness, Father Timothy Finnegan, the pastor of Blackfen in England. Thanks very much for that. I told him we were getting up to uh, uh, 2K of listeners and downloads, and he told me he's interested in doing it again sometime. So maybe I'll give him a call. About his experiences at the upcoming conference that's going to take place at Merton College in Oxford, about the traditional Latin Mass, teaching priests, new priests, how to say it, or priests who are interested in learning the older forms, and I'll get the pulse from him. Now, be sure to visit the blog wdtprs.com. That's whiskey delta tango papa Romeo Sierra.com. What does the prayer really say you can also just go ahead and google father z or father zed and you'll find it right away so thanks so much for listening god bless you and please pray for me as i will for you